Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Everything we think we know about the world and the universe in which we live, 
whatever we've been led to believe concerning the course of human history could very well be completely wrong, distorted, and misinformed. The 19th century teachers of the occult could never have imagined the ultimate journey of the 21st century we now face, one that extends far beyond esoteric. Brad is an author of 10 books and uh, an award-winning author, book publisher, event producer. His keynote presentations and interviews have enlightened audience at Contact in the Desert, UFO Mega Conference, the 5D events, and dozens of radio shows, including Coast to Coast, Ground Zero, Fade to Black, and, of course, Nightlight Radio, and television shows, including Ancient Aliens, America on Earth, Beyond Belief, and Mysteries of the Outdoors. He is a founder and co-producer of the How Weird Street Fair in the Soma neighborhood of San Francisco. His esoteric writing continues to reach a wide audience while he continues breaking ground in alternative journalism, public speaking, illustration, and photography. And I would just throw into the mix the list, the, the, into the list, a philosopher and a bit of a prophet. So um, I would I would say we we are in for quite an adventure um, with him tonight. I'm going to hope I push the right button. You there, Brad? Welcome to the show. Wrong button. You there, Brad? Yes, Hi. I am here. Can you hear me? I can I hear here. you. Mark Mark pulled oh, a, a okay. new one and he he pulled you in on two different places, so I wasn't sure exactly where you were. Can you hear me but now? But I got you in. Yeah, I can hear you, and, and it's it's fine. Oh, great. So, well, thank you for that very warm, glowing introduction. <laughs> it's funny <laughs> you mention profit, because just a quick funny story. When I was in Egypt way back in 93, I uh, all the all the times you check into a hotel, and I was with my girlfriend, and they always ask you your profession. I was like, why do they keep wanting to know what I do for a living? And one time in Egypt, I wrote down profit, and we turned in our forms, and 10 minutes later, the hotel manager's knocking on the door. He said, you can't write profit as your occupation. <laughs> it made me change it. <laughs> so I've tried that well, once know, before, and it didn't really work out. Well, I, um, you know, a prophet is not usually known in his time. I think Jesus said that. Um, but, but you wrote this book. Parts of it before it was published in 2021, but you wrote parts of it before the pandemic started. And oh yeah, I so so you know I read you know I I read the book again because I wanted it to be fresh in my memory, and and I kept thinking, holy cow, he had this plague pegged. You know, it, it, it was like there was so much that you wrote about. That that after the book was published began to unfold, that it was sort of like, yep, he's a prophet. He, you know, I, but you know, it's, you followed you followed the leads, and where they led you was to, you know, uncover a lot of the truth. And and you know, I don't think all of the truth is uncovered yet. So I think we have many surprises yet to come. Unfortunately. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, a lot more surprises to come. But a lot of the subjects that I wrote about, not only in Beyond Esoteric, which took me six years 
to compile and write and edit, collect the images and put it all together. Um, a lot of the subjects in that book and the other two books in the esoteric series are starting to come true. So when it becomes known to the general population, the nature of the word changes to exoteric. And there's nothing that delights me more when a lot of the things that I wrote about is this secret covered up material is now getting out even into the mainstream and people are understanding it a lot better. And it just goes to show, Barbara, how much of this stuff has been kept from humanity for so long. Well, you know, I think that, that you know, often people will say, you know, look at we aren't as high tech as we should be. And, and it took, you know, look at it from, from the first airplane to jets, it's been phenomenal. And then there are other areas where it hasn't been. And I don't think many people take the, the time to, to look at our own development as a human being, as a soul, as a spirit, as a consciousness. And where where we've had physical things that we can prove and see and, you know, we're impressed with, the internal journey has has been thwarted and and in many ways um just just blocked and 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 we've become dumbed down and i don't think we we actually realize what's being done to us to prevent us from excelling as far as the development of our spiritual aspects oh absolutely and and that's a big part of all three of the esoteric books is how much potential that we have. One of the first chapters I wrote was called Superhuman Abilities because it just seems that well, if you look at all the comic book characters and now they've made them into movies, all the superpowers that these superheroes had that we've been grown up with with comic books and now in the movies, they're all what our potential is as humans. So some of them have telepathy powers, other levitation or using um, different, even like AI or mechanical techniques of enhancing the human body. And now so we understand what transhumanism is, and that's a whole other ball of wax that's unfolding right now too. Well, do we, you know, is, do we really want to go transhuman? Because when you think about, I, I think what has frustrated me in the last, couple of years is that so much stuff has has been written about and studied and philosophized on um between the the um the last you know the last uh ice age and now so that so that we're only going back what nine thousand years or so or fifteen thousand whatever it is and i want to know what happened before then because According to science, especially, there have been several mass um, mass extinctions that have happened, and humanity has had to humanity. Well, let's no, let's not say humanity. Consciousness has had to evolve again from single cell on, and and so I, I would, you know, they they are coming now up with there are civilizations the the, the ancient civilizations that the, that are prior to the last ice age that. You know, we're far even more evolved than we are as as far as technology and everything else. And we're not even looking at those areas and trying to figure out 
what happened, why did we lose it, how do we gain it back? And, it, and it's the same thing with Atlantis. How do, we, how do we get to that level without screwing up? And each time there's been mass destruction, each time we've been taken way back down to very primary sources and intellect and everything, we have been inspired by, by um, interdimensional people that have sort of hit our, hit our DNA so that we started to awaken to the, the talents and the gifts that we have within. And, and I keep wondering, do we keep screwing up? Do we keep having to go back to go? And are we, are we on the track now to go back to go again? And, and that's why understanding these subjects that we're talking about, that I write about my books, and you bring up on your show week after week, is so important for people to understand because so many things are coming to a head, meaning we're capable of the human race destroying each other and the planet while we're at it. We're having uh-huh. this crazy weather turns all around, and you can tell that the planet is very stressed out too. And so, so many things are coming to this uh, crescendo moment for Earth and the human race and all that we've led up to, and we can't blow it. We've got to pull this off <laughs> and get us through it. So that's why I'm really encouraged when I see a lot of people waking up to these, this information and understanding it to be true. And I think a lot of it is just coming through our intuition, and we're just starting to really feel it at the core of ourselves, what is real and what's not. Because I think if I would even listen to my own interviews five years ago or ten years ago, I probably wouldn't even believe what I'm saying now. But I believe it's <laughs> true, and I've also accumulated a lot more research to know it's true and real, that it's the zeitgeist of the age. I think that's probably the best way to put it. It's just who we are in this moment. And I think a lot of us have volunteered for this mission to come down and help the earth and help the human race in this ascension moment, uh, myself and yourself included. And that's why we do the things we do and feel so passionate about it too. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because the more I read, the more I interview the, the, it, you know, it, it, it just, it gets more and more expansive and it's sort of like this has happened before and, and, and my feeling is if we if we mess up we'll still have the opportunity to come back and do it again but i'd rather not i'd rather see us you know it's sort of like you keep you keep repeating a grade until you achieve all that you have to and then you can move on to the next grade and that's what it feels like humanity where humanity is and i think that now for the first time you know there there's always been um you know, rumors and people have been saying, well, there's got to be a conspiracy out there. And and now, with especially with the research that you've done, I mean, it's, it's not a maybe there's a conspiracy. It's yes, there's a conspiracy. And this is how it's being applied to you. And it's, it's up to you to break out, to break the mold, to, to not go along with it. And it, you know, the more and the more, the more you listen to, um, and watch things that are happening in, in the political realms, you, you begin to understand, wait a minute, there's something very, very wrong here. And, I mean, let's take it way back, because 
I, I, I just I think it's important for people to understand that while there is conspiracy going on here, it isn't just the stupidity of the politics of the day. This is something that has been going on for hundreds of years. This is a plan that was put into play, I don't know how long ago, 1700s, 1600s, something around there? You could even make an argument all the way back to the pharaohs of Egypt have been were perceived as the ruling class were considered living gods. That's what the pharaohs were. They were still humans, but they were revered as gods. Then when uh, the Roman Empire took all the Mediterranean countries around it, the Caesar was considered a living god, and he was worshipped thus. And now you have the pope in Rome who has an ear to God. So this, this, this ruling class, this whole uh, structure to keep the rest of us in line and ignorant, I think has been going on for thousands of years. But if we can just take this up to the last century, John D. Rockefeller, who was the first billionaire and then started pharmaceuticals and influenced the medical community quite a bit a uh, hundred years ago, he had a famous quote, I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. Well, doesn't that go counter to bringing out the best in everybody? This other guy, let me just read one more quote. H.L. Mencken said uh, also about 80 years ago, the aim of public education is not to spread enlightenment at all. It is simply to reduce as many individuals as possible to the same safe level, to breed and train a standardized citizenry to put down dissent and originality. So this is what we've been up against, at least for the last, uh, our generation and our parents and grandparents have just really been oppressed by this uh, moneyed elite who have really wanted to retain control as I said, since the time of the pharaohs, for not just hundreds, but thousands of years, this has been the matrix, uh, the hierarchy of the top and all the rest of us down on the bottom of the pyramid there. Yeah, I mean, you use the right word because it does feel as though we have been existing in a matrix and and that it's it's time to sort of break out. It's time to question. It's time to fight it's time to stretch and and i mean i was i was uh one of the things you wrote that really frightened me and, and upset me was how the kids today are actually being trained to be soldiers that don't think but rather act with all of these war games they 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 are they are pr- playing and that they're addicted to so that so that at some point in time, if they actually are in a position where they have live weapons, they won't think twice, you know, with pulling the trigger. It'll just be like another game, and it's it's sort of like our the creativity, the inspiration that is within every individual is being shoved down, dumbed down, and and thwarted. And people aren't people are no longer rewarded for their brilliance at being different. 
it's almost as though, you know, come on, it's like Stepford Wives. It's like, you know, be a member of the club and don't make waves. And and and, and certainly this, this last, this, the pandemic gave everybody a chance to take a look at themselves and their lives. And I think it was one of the, you know, it, it, it was fortunate in that it gave everybody a time out so they could look at their lives and they could see if, if, they were doing what they wanted to do, and if they weren't, it gave them a chance to sh- to sh- to shift and incorporate more of the more of the creative things in their life to to help enhance that aspect of themselves. What what I have seen is, you know, either people, you know, really really flowered during this pandemic, strangely, or if they allowed it to beat them down. And you know, it's it's almost like it's dividing the population in in a way. And I and I you know, not even into the vaxxed and non vaxxed, it's it's how did you use the time? Did you did you work on yourself? Did you stretch yourself? And I'm I'm finding that more people are awake now than were before this started. This was a wake up call for everybody in many different ways. But but prior to the pandemic how 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 were they dumbing us down? I mean, certainly with the schools, um, I taught school, and and um, I have been horrified at what schools have been not doing and do and are doing to children, and they aren't in any way, shape, or form educating anymore. They're I don't know what they're doing. They're, they're programming. They're programming the kids. They're not teaching them. They're not teaching them to think and. I don't know how long it's been going on, but, but probably for the last 30 years or so, there's no education going on in this country at all. No, and that's why I brought up those quotes. And I like what you said, that we have to tear down this false matrix and build it up anew again. And education is uh, top and foremost on that list. Look, even when we were going to school, we had all the rote memory skills. Just memorize this. It's what you have to do to pass your tests. Memorize. Uh-huh. The creativity was, was taken out of it. Where's the fun in learning? And so when I started my writing career, it really started to blossom because I could really dig deep into the subjects that really interested me the most that I never learned about in school. But as I I had the opportunity to travel around the world, many of those things came together too. So geography and I did a whole series of books on sacred places and other cultures around the world and going to India, the most spiritual country of the world it's considered and seeing sadhus Uh walk in the streets with just a little bag of all the belongings they had in the world and long dreadlocks to their butts and wearing paint uh, of Shiva on their forehead. I'm like, what is up with these guys? I mean, there really (laughs) are people that walk the world seeking enlightenment and devotion to their gods here in the world today. So getting out and traveling abroad, and now I've made it to all seven continents and having that worldview of what it's like in in so many different countries around the world and, and the different continents has just been so invaluable for putting together the material in my three book esoteric series. Really, I couldn't have done it without having that travel experience. Well, I, I truly can. I go along with you on that. I mean, I've got two master's <laughs> degrees in teaching, and yet everything I have learned 
in the last 40 years, I taught myself because I was curious about a subject, and so I learned about it. And then the radio show became another great way for me to educate myself because I get to talk you guys into giving me two hours of your time so you can educate me. And, you know, and I don't have to pay for it, <laughs> which is even better. Uh, but it's these are master classes in philosophical breakthroughs on, on all different levels, on all different topics. And it, it's not that people have to have a radio show to do this. There's lots of ways of doing it. This, this just happened to be the one I fell into and it worked so well for me. But but there is there is an excitement in learning, and the older you get, the more excited you get about it. I don't think I've ever been more excited in my life than I am now with with all of the amazing people I get to talk to, and and you know it's it's all from my computer. I don't have to leave home. I don't have to try. I I you know I hate traveling. I traveled for a while with a deck of cards. I did, and I I didn't like living out of a suitcase at all. So so my my. My my thing is, you know, let me have my own, you know, bedroom and my closet and my bathroom, and, and I'm fine. But but what's going on here is that so many people are, are confused, they're upset, they feel they've been lied to, and they have been. And I don't think they understand how badly they've been lied to. Um, I think one of the one of the most profound things that um, that that hit me again when I read your book was the 1871 um, passage that took us out of being a republic and put us into a corporation so that that we are all assets of a corporation. We are not individuals of a republic anymore. That, that you know, I, I mentioned that to a couple people. They said, oh, no, you're wrong. And I said, I don't think so. Well, you want to explain to people what happened there? Yeah, sure. And and this is another one that people are starting to wake up and understand how our government was hijacked by the corporatists, by the bankers. And Andrew Jackson, the president who's on the $20 bill, his nickname was Old Hickory. He was the last president to kick out the central bankers and bring the balance sheet to zero. We had no national debt at the end of his term, but he knew they'd be back and they were back right after the civil war in which Lincoln, much like Kennedy were probably both assassinated in a false flag type of event, or at least those assassins were supported because both of these presidents were going to bring the money system back to the treasury. JFK even printed treasury notes uh, in red ink, they're very rare bills, $2 and $5 bills, right before he was assassinated. And then Lincoln brought in the greenback, the dollars, uh, kind of as, as we know it today. But in both cases, after those presidents were assassinated, they went back to the central banking system. So in the act of 1871, shortly after the Civil War, uh, his successor was also named Johnson. So many parallels between Kennedy and Lincoln assassination. Oh, both yeah. had vice presidents named Johnson afterwards, and both were terrible, absolutely terrible presidents. And I was born under the second Johnson. So he was out after a, a term, and then 
Ulysses S. Grant. And I've always thought it curious. Why is he on the $50 bill? Well, he ushered in the act of 1871. But by all measures, he was a terrible president, too. He was an alcoholic, a raging alcoholic at that. And Congress was very corrupt. It was during the carpetbagger years in the South trying to um, reformulate and uh, build back up the South. So the country was broke. The country needed money, and in come the central bankers again. They said, well, this, this time we're going to change things up. We're going to amend the Constitution, more like not, not an amendment as we would know it so much, but supplanting uh, a new system of laws, and that is admiralty law. The law of the sea took over the common law in the Act of 1871, and that is what monetized every single person in this country. That's why every, th- every time you see your name on official documents, from your birth certificate to your driver's license, your name's always in all caps because that's, that's like your corporate identity, uh, the straw man. And so you operate under this account in the corporation of America, totally unbeknown to most people for their entire lives, yet our names are collateral and is actually traded on Dunn and Bradstreet. So we are considered just collateral to this U.S. corporation, and presidents are more like a CEO than a governing body ever since the Act of 1871. So then once they did that, then in 1913, initiated not only income tax, but the Federal Reserve System, which we've been on ever since, except for that short moment that Kennedy tried to take us off it. And it's even written in the Constitution that only the Treasury makes their own currency. How did we let a cabal of private bankers take over our money supply at interest? I mean, it's the biggest scam in the universe. <laughs> and we fell for it or because people were ignorant that it even happened. It was supplanted upon us, and now we're living with the consequences. Now, the, the bankers, the banks that, that created the Federal Reserve, were they all U.S. banks or were they international banks? Well, they're international banks, and here's where it gets really interesting, because still to this day, you cannot find who are the owners of the banks that own the various central banks. But it ties into the Rothschild banking dynasty. It also ties into the Vatican Bank, the IOR. Um, so there are ties to old European royalty and old European money that got a hold of our monetary system in this country. And it's really the biggest scam perpetuated upon the American people. Yeah, I, I just, the land of the free and home of the brave doesn't really cut it anymore because. We're not. I mean, I'm not saying well, we're not I brave, call it but the uh, land of the thieves and home of the slave <laughs> is more appropriate. Yeah. These well, you know, it. It. You know, it. You. You. The title of your book is, you know, escaping the uh, prison planet, and 
it's it's funny because I thought, well, I'm free, but but nobody is really free because we all have debt, and and you know they encourage us to get further and further into debt with with um with abandon with reckless abandon. Um, I mean, there there was a time when I I had had a car accident. I had not been able to work for a number of years. I was really in debt. And and that was when American Express thought I was a great candidate for uh, a silver American Express card, which you know, and and this is where the mentality is not as good as I'd like it to be. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world, so I paid them the two hundred dollars on another credit card so I could get the silver American card uh, credit card. I mean, it's 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 a downward slope that is horrible to get caught in and it's almost impossible to not be in debt in some way shape or form and that's how they keep well, us you know slaving yep that's right it's exactly how they do it and the whole nature of the financial system that is creating money and then lending it to the federal government at interest and this fractional reserve currency that the big banks use to create even more currency, you're just pulling this stuff out of thin air. That's why the value of a, a dollar has gone down 97% since the Federal Reserve Act was passed in 1913. And it's called the Aldrich Act at the time because it was a senator that really pushed it through on Christmas Eve when they just needed the minimum amount of votes. I mean, everything about it was such a scam, including uh, how they got the act of 1871 through. So these bankers are very clever. They wait and wait till the right moment, and then they get in there, and then they're just the octopus that just uses their tentacles and suckers to just grab onto their prey and never let go. And that's why, even though... The Federal Reserve Act was only supposed to be for 99 years. What did they do in 2012? Extended it, I think, for another 100 wow. years or at least 50 years. So we're stuck with it still because well, once they have yeah. politicians corrupted, as they have been in this country with lobbyists, you can't, you can't break out of it anymore unless, once again, every institution we know of has to be taken down, dismantled, and then built back up in a transparent and honest and open way for everybody to see what it is. Because people yeah. don't believe in, in the systems anymore. All of our institutions are going through a major uh, crisis at the moment in people's confidence. They don't think they work anymore, and, and they don't. And they do have to be dismantled and rebuilt, including the whole financial industry. Yeah, I as a, you know I said to somebody, I think it was today. I, I said, you know, the government is is going to have to fall in order for us to hopefully be able to build something up. But but before that happens, somehow those powers that be you sp- you spoke of the triumvirate of of the Vatican and and London and and DC. That that's another aspect. Um, I think. Many people don't understand that the city of London, uh, Washington, D.C. itself, and the Vatican City are all independent nations, literally. That's right. 
that that's all part of it too, Barbara. It's called the Empire of Three Cities. And Washington, D.C., notice how it's a district of Columbia. Uh-huh. No senators. And it's not a state. Uh, but it has its own police force, its own laws, its own rules, separate. It's an empire of three cities. So it's a city-state within a larger nation. Similarly, the one square mile of all the banks in the city of London, and it's called that city of London, is also the control of the money supply. And the, the Federal Reserve System in the U.K., it was the very first central bank that was bought out by the uh, private bankers. So that's been the model for all the other British Empire countries and uh, most of the Western countries of the world. And then you have the Vatican, Vatican City, its own nation state right in the center of Rome. Been there several times to both of the, all three of those locations. And the other commonality between the Empire of Three Cities is each one of them has a very large obelisk right in the center. So you have your occult symbolism right in the Empire of Three Cities. In Vatican Square, they have a giant obelisk that was taken out of Egypt. Another one, it's called Cleopatra's Needle, right along the River Thames, is in the central part of the city of London, the one square mile area. And then, of course, in Washington, D.C., you have Washington's Monument, a giant obelisk that no building in D.C. is allowed to go taller than. That is the tallest structure in the city, the city-state. And so that's why everybody's saying drain the swamp. D.C. was actually, originally it was a swamp, and they did have to drain it to put uh, Washington, D.C. in there. But uh, the corruption is so deep that, once again, the only way to save it is to tear it down and build it up again. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. was it uh, Cali in the Vietnam War that said, why did you destroy that village? Well, there were Viet Cong there, sir, and we had to destroy the village in order to save it. <laughs> that might be yeah. the only hope for Washington, D.C. at this point. Well, you know, I, there was a, a a TV series called um, Soul, what Soul Survivor, not Soul Survivor, um, Designated Survivor, a couple uh-huh. of years ago, and and in essence, um, the, the whole premise behind it was every time there is a, a, a the, the speech the president gives each year, you know, the Supreme Court is there, his cabinet is there everybody's there except there's one person that is not there just in case something happens to to everybody else there is somebody who can carry on the role of president and um in this series that's what happens the capitol building is destroyed everyone is killed and this this designated survivor becomes the president and it was a very interesting series because it looked like it was the only way to set things right. And I'm not, I'm not advocating blowing up the Capitol or anything like that. But, but, but I am saying that, that, you know, you talk about the corruption that is so integrated into every agency and every part of our government. It's like, how do you, 
how do you start to weed it out because it's everywhere it's not like you you could say well this particular agency is clean and has no corruption it's in everywhere um the 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 more you the more deeply you go into your book you you just you you sh- you show all of the different places that have been corrupted whether through bribery through um through you know being corrupt you know or 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 having you know and even even politicians have to spend more time ca- campaigning to get money for their campaigns than they do to actually work on the 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 government that they're there to rep, you know to be a part of um it it's made it impossible for anybody to be honest yeah yep well and this is the problem we find ourselves in is that the way things have gone have just totally gamed the system made the rich people richer and the poor people poorer and now we're seeing the middle class being squeezed out as well so this is not uh-huh. sustainable form of government, form of finance, form of education, so many different institutions just need to go and, and be rethought. And now we're at this what? age where you're having robots enter the picture for manufacturing jobs and even automated drivers, and AI is coming into our home. Alexa, give me the weather report. <laughs> I won't use that for sure, but a lot of people do, and it's not going anywhere. It's only going to become more and more invasive. So to hold our privacy and our way of life, it's all changing. Well, now you talk about the new fascism, and um, that term fascist and fascism has been literally thrown around a great deal in the last three to four years. This is fascist, that's fascist. I, I, it, it will be interesting. Explain what the old fascism was and then show how it's taken place in our government. Sure, sure, because the first chapter in the section is called neo-fascism, the new fascism. So then what mm-hmm. was the old fascism? Well, back when you and I were in school, we learned that uh, Mussolini termed the word and was original fascist. Uh, Adolf Hitler was as well. The merging of government with corporations is the textbook definition of fascism. But the new fascism, it's the other way around. Now you have heads of corporation that are buying and paying for our judges, politicians, DAs, NGOs, and so many others. So the new fascism is the corporatocracy that has taken over government. Rather than the other way around, under Mussolini and Hitler, it was government taking over the corporations. So now we have all these unelected officials behind smoky boardroom doors that are making decisions that affect all the rest of us. And because they have government, judges, and to a degree, militaries in their pocket, they wield extraordinary power over the rest of us. Uh, Almost every country in the world has succumbed to these corporatists in the form of, uh, say, a little banana republic 
there's a great book about the robber barons, the corporate raiders who would go around. They're called economic hitmen, and they would go to these smaller banana republics and basically enrich the president and the few people to get in the door, say, we're going to give you all this money for your infrastructure. But what it really was for was for our corporations to come in there and get paid that money to pump their oil and exploit their resources. So these smaller countries just got trampled over and really abused by American imperialism. And we used to always think when we were in school that imperialism was the British Empire. The sun never sets on the British Empire. They have so many colonies all the way around the world. There's always something going on. And, of course, all those countries were being exploited. But you think of American imperialism. Oh, well, we're just America, but we've got military bases in, uh, what is it, 156 countries? And Mm -hmm. that is our form of imperialism through the corporatocracy, through these corporations amassing even more and more power and holding all these small countries in lockstep and saying, you you need more money because you're going broke. You have to service the loan with interest. We'll give you another loan, but you have to vote with us on a certain thing on the UN or you have to allow this other corporation to come in and build another oil refinery. It's things like that. And so these countries just get so saddled in debt and dig a hole that they can't get out of and throw in a kleptomaniac president that just steals it and puts it in a Cayman Islands account and runs out of the country. And it just uh-huh. screws that country even more. <laughs> so no wonder they are uh, yeah, so uh, reluctant to get involved or bring the U.S. in anymore. In fact, many countries want to get America out, uh, including Japan, wants to get our military base out of Okinawa. They've wanted to do that for years, but they have protests there to get them out. Uh, But we won't leave, right, because we got an agreement with the Japanese government, and they feel like they need the balance of power against China or Russia. And so the the – Globalists are always pitting country against country because it's very profitable to do so. Eisenhower warned us about the growing power of the military-industrial economy uh, in 1960, and it has gotten so worse and so much more out of hand uh, in those years since then that we're just up against this behemoth, and that's what has so much power uh, all around the world, that it's so hard to try to take this monster down. But I've oh, gosh, always yeah. said that the revolution is consciousness, it, it, and it's us waking up, because once you see what they're up to, well, we can practice what Martin Luther King and Gandhi did, and that is noncompliance. Don't go along with their system and make fun of them. They don't know how to deal with sarcasm or humor that's directed at them, say, in the form of memes that show how ridiculous some things are in, in the economy or with the pandemic, and a, a, basically a free meme that gets picked up around the world 
that shows the absurdity of some of these things go counter to these billion-dollar industries that are trying to influence us one way or another. So we can fight back doing this nonviolently, but uh, we're up against the big one here. Well, when you look at you know the big corporations and you go right to the top, you find that it's almost the same families, companies that are at the top, so that so that the the majority of the wealth of the world is owned by a very small number of organizations, and 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 it's frightening how how they control so much and and. I mean, big pharma. You know, when when I look at it, and it's just it's just me, and you know, I don't speak for anybody but me. Um, it just seems as though there are cures out there that that I know for sure there are cures out there for so many different um, illnesses that 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 corporations have bought up the patents and won't share it with the public because they want the public to be re, you know. They want the public to have to come to them for the drugs that they're selling, so that so that you know they're they're not going to do anything that's going to in any way help humanity. They're here to control humanity. I mean, I can't tell you the number of of advertisements for different medications that are on the television every day. I mean, illnesses I never heard of. They're you know, if you have this, then you know, tell your doctor you want this. And and the doctors just give it to you, so it's 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 frightening. I mean, what our what our country has become is it, is frightening. So um, you know, you kind of you want to you want to sit back and you want to say, wait a minute, how do we make changes? How do we how do you how do we in any way get 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 our 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 um, power back? Um, I look at I look at all of the things that are going on in this world and all I can think of is you know what can I do what and I'm doing what I can do I'm putting information out there I'm helping to educate the public but you know you want to do more because you see what's happening and you see how people are getting swallowed up in stuff and and with that comes um, depression, and with that depression comes that negative attitude, and that shuts everything down. And then the person doesn't have the connection to the spirit they carry within them to fight this stuff. Yeah, and you you bring up a good point. There's another whole system, industry, pharmaceuticals, and medicine that needs to be collapsed and brought up and trained and learned anew. When when did natural immunity become a bad word? How come we don't see commercials on TV to go eat an apple? Instead, they sell cheeseburgers for 99 cents, and an apple costs more in a supermarket. So everything's backwards. Everything we're being told, oh, it's so good and yummy. Yeah, well, nobody ever said junk food didn't taste good. But it's terrible for you, and that's why we have such an obesity and diabetic dilemma in this country. If you look at old pictures, even pictures from uh, Woodstock or uh, pictures from the 1950s, people on the beach without a shirt on wearing bathing suits, 
hardly ever see anybody with even just like a beer belly. Everybody is so thin and fit and looking good and eating healthy back then. Uh, it's just been another drag on people having these uh, just terrible information about what they should be putting into their body. Well, you know, you, you talk about a fascist, a new fascist, a new fascism. And, you know, yeah. you've taken it one step further and it it really, um, it was chilling. The things that, that the power, I, you talk about a one world government and that's what people, that's what those people who are the manipulators, the puppet masters, so to speak, that's what they're aiming towards. That's what they're hoping for. And in order to get that one world government, they have to really have the populace, the masses, in control. And the things that they are doing to get us in control, to me, are, are frightening. Because, you know, they're, they're, first of all, they've been doing it for so long, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to undo what they've done. The chemtrails with spreading the chemicals and, and all of the things that they've been spreading on the populace and the fields and everything for, for decades now. The poison is there. How do you how 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 Brad do you fight the fact that it's in the air, it's in the soil, it's in the food you eat? How do you fight that? Well, you have to detox virtually every day of your life because we are being so overloaded with, as you say, things that are coming down in the chemtrails. I, I'm out here on the coast, Barbara. I'm uh, less than a mile away from the Pacific Ocean, and there are no main roads around here, and there's no uh, pollution, no factories or anything. Yet my car, within days after they've been spraying the sky, is filthy. Where's all this pollution coming from? Well, it's coming from the air because they are moving weather systems around. One of the chapters in Beyond Esoteric, in fact, it's the final chapter in the neo-fascism section, is geoengineering. And people absolutely have to understand that our weather is being controlled. There is a document called Weather as a Force Multiplier that came out by the Air Force in uh, 1996. And it was talking about how they're uh, modifying the weather to own the weather in 2025, this document says. And I would encourage any of your listeners to go to weathermodificationhistory.com. That's just one word, weather modification history. And look at this website because they have done a great job cultivating all the different news stories, all the information over the years about geoengineering, from cloud seeding to ionospheric heaters to cloud ionizers to geoengineering. Very invaluable resource for anyone who still doesn't understand what this is or denies that it's going on. If you look at this website or my geoengineering chapter in Beyond Esoteric, it should go beyond a shadow of a doubt this is being done to us. Then you have as you say, how do we fight this? Well, you've got what's coming down in the air. 
you've got uh, pesticides and GMO foods with soil and corrupted seeds. And you also have fluoride in the water. So it's literally mm-hmm. air, land, and sea are all polluted. So what do we have to do? We have to detoxify every day. Um, I'll give you a couple of my tips. I just do really love to drink coffee, but I realize it's an acidic drink if just drank by itself. So I learned a little trick, and that is putting just a sprinkle of baking powder on the coffee uh, when it brews. You don't even taste it. If you make a whole pot of it with just a sprinkling of baking soda, and you turn an acidic drink into an alkaline drink. So part of our um, detoxing is to make our bodies more alkaline. And I do cover this in Beyond Esoteric as well as in Modern Esoteric about tricks we can do to uh, detoxify ourselves. The other thing I do in my Mm -hmm. morning coffee is put a little scoop of uh, diatomaceous earth which is kind of clay, and it's really not that good, but in a nice milky coffee, um, after a cup or two, you drink it down, and you can take diatomaceous earth, which is great for scrubbing the inside uh, and getting toxins out of the intestine. The old saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Apples are not known for their nutritional value, but they're very good for scrubbing the insides of our intestines and... uh, helping remove, helping our body to remove the toxins. And so this is the whole concept of the bioterrain, the inner terrain, which is the first line of defense. The immune system actually comes in later if something starts going wrong and they have to start bombarding uh, something with, with the red blood cells and going after it. But the bioterrain is really what is so important. And this is where things went awry with the medical community. There was a big debate in the 19th century. I described this in my chapter called the terrain, the bioterrain in Beyond Esoteric. Big debate in the late 19th century between Louis Pasteur, the founder of pasteurization, and his detractors. And there are several other scientists, medical doctors, who said, wait, 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 hold on. Uh, Pasteur said, one germ, one cure. A germ causes disease. We got to attack the germ. Well, look, Barbara, if, if, if humans were so uh, vulnerable to germs and bacteria and everything that we come in contact with every day, the human race would have been gone a long, long time ago. So our body has a way of handling this, but you have to have a really strong body. For one, uh, an inner terrain that is generally more on the alkaline side and rock solid, ready to take on any diseases. That's why I never get a flu shot. Guess what? I haven't had the flu in uh, 30 years since about the last time I got a flu shot. So I just opt out of all that. And I think I'm all the better as a result. But I do things like, well, and I I exercise daily, and I got a little uh, one-person infrared sauna that I sit in every night, too. And that, as well, is detoxifying through sweating. 
Um, so there's many things like this that we can do to help our bodies detox. And as a result, we'll leave, live a healthier and longer life. And we don't even have to take that uh, poisonous allopathic medicine at all. Let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food was a saying all the way back to the ancient Greeks. I think it was Hippocratic himself who doctors take the Hippocratic oath when they become a doctor, and that is do no harm to your patients. Uh-huh. Well, there's another one that got turned upside down on its head, isn't it? That uh, <laughs> You see a lot of harm coming out of the medical industry. In the top ten reasons for death, one of them is uh, medical malpractice. They check into a hospital and get something else worse and sometimes kills them. So I try to stay out of a hospital at all costs. Oh, yeah. Even to visit, I don't like to go. Um, yeah. you, you, mentioned, you mentioned earlier weather, and I, I, I can remember when HARP was uh, oh, yeah. initially put up in, um, in uh, oh, where Alaska. Was it? Alaska, yeah, and and you know they were saying it was going to be it was going to help to um, to control the weather and prevent things and everything else. And as with every invention that I have ever heard of, the first thing that people ask after it's initiated is how can we turn it into a weapon? And right. I truly I truly believe that the Haiti tsunami was caused by harp. I truly believe that a lot of the um, fireflies and ca- firefighters in California are caused by HARP. I do believe that they are using it to manipulate weather, to use weather as a weapon, as opposed to um, helping it to bring, you know, rain to where we need it, um, and and you know, to 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 balance out things. If HARP was that good, why? Why was why was it not used to sway the the hurricanes that have done such horrible damage and and you know the typhoons on the other side of uh, in the Pacific? I mean, from what you were saying, it also emits a tone, a frequency that, in many ways, will be act. There, there are little um, aluminum pieces of aluminum that that are being dropped to us in the chemtrails. And right. if we're breathing them, if they're into us, and if HARP uses the right frequency, they can wipe all of us out in a heartbeat. So that it's, it's an amazing weapon. And, and I don't see them using it for good anywhere. I don't see them using it to break droughts. I don't see them using it to, to, to get fireflies, fire fires over, um, to get thunderstorms over fire fires i you know i i don't see any positive use for harp that has happened in the last 20 years unless it's weather warfare and then it's well there the chinese have it the russians have it if we don't have it then they're going to use it against us and we can't get them back so we need it as a deterrent that's the military's way of thinking one of my colleagues in the field nick begich wrote a book called Angels Don't Play That Harp. I love that title. <laughs> yeah. and, and he's up in Alaska, and he's been to Gernanka, and there's another site that they have these big uh, harp antennas. 
which uh, for your listeners who aren't uh, aware of what it does, they're giant microwave ovens, basically. They're, they, uh, the real technical term is ionospheric heaters. And so there's a level in the atmosphere called the ionosphere, and they can direct that, the HARP energy weapons with this microwave, just like a microwave oven heats up your uh, meal. They can heat up parts of the ionosphere and steer where they're uh, putting those rays up. Now they have HARP arrays that are even on uh, platforms like oil derricks, but can move around. And they also have mobile HARP arrays that can move around on land. So you're absolutely right. Every hurricane has been directed into this country for a reason. And I think they're trying to destabilize America in different kind of ways. They're forcing the drought on us out here in the West. Um, Other parts of the country have been flooded. Wherever you're vulnerable, they can use the heart machine. And in the patent, it even said that it can uh, trigger earthquakes. And it's maybe why we're seeing an uptick in earthquakes around the world, too. Maybe we're doing it to uh, countries like Iran or China, Russia. They're doing it back to us. I'm not sure. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise yeah, me if the, if, the new, uh, if the new if the new if the new Madrid line if the new Madrid fault line goes you know has earthquakes again if the new Madrid line is activated again that will literally split the country. Oh yes, it will. And people who have uh, communicated with future Earth and the maps of North America show the Mississippi Valley being very vast, uh, 100 miles across. Mm-hmm. Do you remember uh, Ed Bielik, who was one of the yeah. brothers who jumped off the Philadelphia experiment? Well, yeah. he stayed in the programs a lot longer than his brother, Duncan Cameron, but both of them used to come to conferences, and there's some old videos you can watch. Well, Ed Bielik, Al Bielik, he actually – went ahead in time to, I think, around 2150, so maybe 130 years from now, but he did that a couple decades ago. And he said that he he was in a, a very clinical setting for a few days before he came back, but he had enough time to kind of gauge where America was at, and we had gone through a great catastrophe the new Madrid fault line had ruptured. It drained the Great Lakes, but it created a giant chasm in the middle of this country that the ocean then came back and filled up. And Al Bielik was saying that the big news story of the day in 2150 is they had just finished the 100-mile causeway to connect the two basically sides of the North American continent, which had split in half. And that was, that was the big uh, <laughs> monumental oh, achievement for cars to be able to drive across that bridge. But the planet had been grossly depopulated, too, was another thing that he noticed that uh, I think it was down to only a billion or a billion five, and we're at close to nine billion today. 
So something yeah. happens, whether it's a depopulation agenda or perhaps this whole shift or earth changes kind of scenario where just a lot of people perished. Well, every year I predict that the new new Madrid line is going to go all, go off again, and it doesn't. So I, I am I, I I now I do it intentionally because I'm in Nashville, so I'm real close to that oh. line. Oh yes, you are. <laughs> all I can think of is I could have waterfront property. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever feel any of the earthquakes? Because it's a very uh, active zone, but they're very low on the Richter scale. I, uh, haven't, haven't felt any earthquakes yet, knock on wood, but but certainly I it it uh, I I have been in in uh, you know on the East Coast, so you know nor'easters and hurricanes. I'm very used to. I love them actually, um, but tornadoes are something that I am frightened of, and so I'm I'm in a place where you know I think five or six times since I've been here. There's been that warning that goes out that's take cover immediately and you know and and you do you go to the center of your house and you sit there with your flashlight and your cat and your and whatever and a blanket hopefully and um you wait to make sure that your house doesn't blow away. So it's that's a new wow. experience for me. Yeah, it's, you get it's that a little all the scary. Way yeah. Wow. Uh, We've had five so far, and one did touch down within a half mile of my house. And so yeah. it, it, it does happen. Southern Illinois got racked by a big one a couple months ago. Oh, yeah. It, just, yeah. it, it, was, so it, went, it went hundreds of miles. I wanted to ask another, want to ask, yeah. want to ask another question about HARP. I know that at one time they were they – were, um, Concerned about the ozone layer, and I was I I I don't know if they tried to pierce holes through it to kind of fix it or whatever with HARP, but I did they actually set off a number of nuclear bombs up there to try to open up the ozone layer? Yeah, they sure did. That was called Alternative One. And I have a chapter in Beyond Terror called Alternative 1, Alternative 2, Alternative 3. Alternative 1, yeah, these great minds of the think tanks of the 1950s said, our atmosphere is getting so polluted, let's blow off nuclear bombs down near Antarctica to let all the pollution escape. And they did. And that's Operation Argus. Now, there could be a real uh, other reason behind that. Now, I don't doubt that they did something as stupid as blowing up high-altitude nuclear bombs that created the ozone holes, but Operation Argus is still a classified nuclear testing operation. And I think they were lobbing a couple of nukes at the New Schwabenland, the German claim in Antarctica, in the late 1950s. Because shortly after that, came out with the Antarctica Treaty, which specifically stated there will be no nuclear testing on the continent of Antarctica, almost as if to say we did it once, but now we're outlawing it for all the rest of you. So that that's a big question about whether uh, Alternative 1 was really about blowing holes in the upper atmosphere to let the pollution escape or to really get back at the uh, New Schwabenland Nazis for defeating Admiral Byrd in the Battle of High Jump 
in early 1947. So alternative two is going underground. That's the deep underground military bases in which in North America or in the U.S. on the lower 48, there's at least 130 of these underground bases. Massive in size, multi-levels, like the one under the Denver International Airport, goes down eight levels, and it could house, I think, a million and a half people. Of course, all the elite and their families, none of us are invited. But their whole thinking with these think tank scenarios in the 1950s is the Earth's surface is screwed. We got to get out of here. And alternative three was going off planet. And that was building up bases on the moon as a way station to go out to the larger bases on Mars. And there I have... uh, evidence in this chapter that we did exactly that. Now, there was a TV show that came out in the 1970s called Alternative 3, and it was kind of like a 60-minute science show in the UK, and it aired only one time, and it was supposed to air in the US, and they canceled it, and it aired one time in Australia, but it created such a ruckus because it was so believable. It was kind of like the War of the Worlds radio show with Orson Welles in the late 1930s of an alien invasion that just sounded so real because there are <laughs> elements and truth of both of those. But this Alternative 3 TV show, and you can still watch it on YouTube, um, talked about all these scientists who left Earth to go work in these colonies off planet. And people were calling in the show and said, Oh, my scientist brother-in-law, he split five years ago. Is he in the programs? And they were just (laughs) inundated with these calls of people that believed it was real. And I think elements of it really were real. And this is what now the super soldiers or the people in the 20 and back programs who are going through the military programs and then are recruited to do some of the off-planet stuff are coming back and saying, yeah, there's – a breakaway civilization at this point of humans who do not live on the earth anymore that are even having children that are being born off planet. That's what is known as the breakaway civilization. That's alternative three. Well, part of the 20 and and back is that they're supposedly they wipe your memory. Are they not doing that anymore? No, they are, but now these guys are are finding ways to go to hypnotherapy and other ways to retrieve their memories. And my friend Tony Rodriguez, who lived off-planet a number of years, has written a whole book on the series Colony and his time spent there. Uh, Randy Kramer has also written a book about his 20 and back on Mars and other uh, locations within our solar system. It's not just the moon and the Mars. It's also the series of planetoid within the asteroid belt. And Randy uh-huh. Kramer speaks about going to a very small moon-like, more like a large meteorite outside of um, Jupiter. And they well, have bases yeah. in them. Mary Joyce, who has that wonderful website, um, Skyships Over Cashiers, uh, has discovered that there is not only Google Earth, but there's Google Mars and there's Google Moon. 
And um, she is she has found um, all sorts of uh, of uh, I guess I guess you know certainly things that 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 denote that there was a civilization there at one time. And what's fascinating is she will talk about them, post it, talk about them, and give you the um, the the um, the GPS. And by the time somebody goes there, it's it's been it's been changed it's definitely been you know airbrushed out or whatever she had um a whole bunch of stuff on in antarctica which which showed um villages you know the outlines of them and certainly where 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 there had been dwellings and things like that and she had that posted and by the time people went there it had been airbrushed so um It, and you know what's fascinating is she she actually has some pictures she she now takes screenshots when she finds these places, but with Mars she's found a number of places where where you know a, a ship of any sort could fly into them their entrances and um, if you check out her website you know they're all there the pictures are all there and they are fabulous and and you, she gives you the GPS you can you can go up and look for yourself uh, so the fact that that Mars and the moon have been have been certainly colonized is there I mean it's inside but um but you can see the entrances and uh it's it's spectacular and so so you know this is very much like um UFOs our government said you know we weren't ready we uh you know it would create panic if if the if the general public in the United States knew about them so they hid it off from us and they're still hiding it, but we all know about it. And and so right. you know the fact the fact that you know we have colonies on the moon and Mars should be something that we should all be very excited about. I I mean they were signing people up to to take part in, in uh, a while ago, maybe within the last year, that they were literally taking volunteers to go for the first Mars colony. But it's already there, and it's right. sort of like. Trump started the the space program, but the secret space program has been out there for decades. Yeah, it so, sure has. And I repeat images in my esoteric series of books. Future Esoteric has a bunch of off-planet images as well as in Beyond Esoteric. Yeah, it's really uh, unmistakable that perfect right angles, pyramids in the case of Mars um, – the lights that come out of craters on the moon and what they saw on the dark side of the moon, the side that never faces earth. That's really where all the obvious uh, bases are, including the base that uh, our secret space program set up decades ago called the Luna base that William Cooper spoke of. And that was the way station to head on out to Mars. Now it's really interesting. You mentioned uh, Google Mars and Google Moon and also Google Earth for Antarctica is all of a sudden, just in the last month or so, has started to reveal quite a bit. And they're taking off the uh, masking on some of these sensitive locations. Dr. Michael Sala had a whistleblower that told him the GPS coordinates in Antarctica, in the New Schwabenland area of the German claim of a base uh, of all these symmetrical lines and runways and things like this 
on a mesa in Antarctica. And also, if you look around Area 51 in Nevada, just north of Las Vegas, the best kept secret everybody knows, Area 51, right? (laughs) But all of a sudden, they will put an identification and show you the bay doors of S-4, the base that Bob Lazar worked at, and Uh described exactly as you can now see on Google Earth. So Bob Lazar has been vindicated in so many more ways than one, and this being just another cause. But it's interesting that they're now starting to show a lot more or taking down the the masking uh, because so many times I've been scouring over or going on a lead with some GPS and looking at uh, Antarctica only to find a very obvious white screen put over something. So, for example, you can't see the giant hole in the ice <laughs> one degree off the South Pole. Yeah, it's it's even sloppy. Like you just see a, a big square white over the contours of the ice. Uh, they're not even making an effort to try to blend <laughs> that in. They're just like, yeah, we're not showing you that. <laughs> but well, isn't there, a no, up, it, so. isn't there a no-fly zone there over a lake that is uh... – that, that is there? That, uh, so that there is a lake. No... In, yeah, it's called Lake Vostok. It's one of the top ten largest freshwater lakes in the world that nobody's ever heard of because it's two miles under the ice. But that's at the Vostok base, which is a few hundred miles away from the South Pole. The actual giant no-fly zone is right near the North Pole at about 89 parallel south. Um, no, north, and that is, north, north or south pole? South pole. Okay. Yeah, near the south pole. Uh, north pole is, is the Arctic region with uh, water mm-hmm. underneath. Antarctica has the continental landmass underneath two miles of ice. And that's where Lake Vostok is. But this no-fly zone is near the south pole at 89 degrees south. Uh, the South Pole being 90 degrees south. So about 100 miles or so from the South Pole station. And it was interesting that Prince Harry, back when all the celebrities and royal family members and other uh, politicians were going down to the South Pole, remember, in 2015, 2016 timeframe, John Kerry was there during the election. Um, so Prince Harry goes down there around that time frame too, and he goes to the South Pole, and him and his army buddies set off over the polar plateau, cross-country skiing, just going to the 89th degree parallel. I think they were going to see the big hole in the ice, which is nicknamed the Illuminati Disneyland, and it is ah. a gaping hole in the ice that's so big that it can be seen from outer space but not on Google Earth because they mask it. But it's so big that Admiral Byrd, in his diary, who's also a master aviator, he flew over the South Pole and saw the gaping hole, and it was so big he felt confident enough to drop the plane into the hole with enough room to circle around and come back out. And that's where the no-fly zone is, and that's where all the, the masking is still currently on Google Earth. 
I still believe that there is a, um, a colony of, of Nazis there. I I, oh, yeah. I don't believe. For, I mean, it, it and it, and it feels as though it's large and fully functional, um, and independent of Germany for sure, but connected probably to th- those those that are still Fourth Reich. Um, oriented that are here in this country and in Brazil. Well, yeah, that's right. And uh, as you know, the last time I was on your show, I was telling you about my trip down to Antarctica three years ago. Uh, it wasn't anywhere near the new Schwabenland claim. But if I were to ever go back, that is where I would like to go. And I'm fairly certain I know where the new Berlin base was located. And I'd go down there with Geiger counters to see if we could detect some of the uh, radiation that would be left over if, uh, indeed, Operation Argus was about bombing with nuclear bombs as base. There'd still be some residue of radioactivity, uh, and that would make for a very interesting show. But that's well, where you know- the Germans set up their base. Well, if you stop and think about it, 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 you know, World War II ended 40-something. It's been, what, 60, 70, 80 years. If they exported a lot of their scientists to that area and the scientists have had the last 80 years to work on uh, developing or or reverse um, engineering some of the um, UFO stuff, I mean, it would seem to me that they, they're probably leagues ahead of everybody else with their technology and staying quiet on purpose for a reason. Yeah, that's right. And if you consider the end of World War II, the Allies were absolutely terrified of the German wonder weapons that they were mm. going to supposedly unleash on the Allied forces moving towards Germany including nuclear bombs. You know, a lot of the paperclip Nazis that came over right at the end of the war, some of them were nuclear physicists that helped us in the Manhattan Project to develop the atomic bombs that we dropped on Japan and World War II. So they were very advanced in that department, let alone their advancements with disc-shaped technology. And... There was a big data dump in the 1990s. An anonymous donor just gave all this material to a British researcher who put it out there as is. And I reproduced some of the blueprints of the uh, Honeyboo craft in Beyond Esoteric to give people an idea how advanced the Germans were 80 years ago. Yeah, but they had help. And that was the quote of Hermann Oberith, who was one of the mm-hmm. paperclip Nazis with Werner von Braun that came over here to help start up NASA. And, and when people would ask them, where did Germany come up with all this incredible technology 80 years ago? And he would say, well, we had help from the people from above, meaning mm-hmm. ET technology. But the German engineers were masters at backward engineering. So they had their own downed craft 
a UFO that crashed in the uh, Black Forest region in mm-hmm. Bavaria that the German engineers got their hands on. Not only that, but Mussolini had a nearly intact craft that came down the Lombardy region in the 1930s that he turned over to the German engineers. That combined with the psychic mediums from the Vril Society that were telepathically downloading blueprints for zero-point energy craft, free energy devices, and and giant motherships that, of course, the uh, Third Reich was very eager to get their hands on and also incorporate that into their backward engineering. So the Germans had an incredible head start, way ahead of anyone else, and it's no wonder that the Allies were so afraid of them. And then you have what were known as Foo Fighters, these balls of plasma that would follow our airline uh, allied pilots on their bombing raids and really scared them, but it didn't take them down. I don't know if Uh the Foo Fighters were strictly ET technology that was just following the the war, because you would think that the Germans would want to take down the ships, uh, these planes coming in to bomb Germany, but they rarely ever did. To my knowledge, I don't think they ever did. Um, Well, maybe they weren't weaponized. They just weren't weaponized. Yeah, maybe they were just like for spying and seeing it. And that's what they were using. Their first craft, their first disc-shaped craft were seen by the Allies over the Battle of Kursk, which was the largest tank battle ever fought outside of Moscow in 1943. And they had one of their discs hovering in the sky just observing the battle line formations. They didn't want to get it too close that it might get shot down and and lose that technology. Because when the Russians were the first to get to the Eastern Front and there was the their laboratory where they did a lot of their backward engineering uh, was called the Skoda Works in what is today the Czech Republics. And they they didn't find any of these plans that had all been taken out, all the craft had been taken out, and almost all of the scientists were gone except those that had a bullet in their head, presumably oh, wow. because they didn't want to evacuate to Antarctica. And that's where the backward engineering programs went after the war. So a little bit of history that a lot of people don't know about because history is definitely an esoteric subject that gets written by the victors, as oh, Napoleon yeah. <laughs> said. Or as Voltaire the French philosopher said is the Mississippi of lies, that history is just so replete with inaccuracies. But the last two battles of World War II uh, on the, in the European campaign were won by Germany. But it was too embarrassing for the Allies to admit that the final battle of World War II was actually a submarine battle in the North Atlantic that the Germans just routed the Allied ships and escaped down to South America and Antarctica in their fleet of the uh, convoy uh, of the large, sort of like a container ship, but submarines. They could fit containers inside some of these larger convoys. And this is the Fuhrer convoy Mm -hmm. that was the final uh, big trip down. And still to this day, there are dozens, if not over a hundred 
U-boat submarines that are still unaccounted for that just were out in the ocean somewhere and never came back. Nobody knows where they went. <laughs> well, I think I know where they went. <laughs> well, yeah. I think one of, one of the things that has always confused me a little bit, um, there are, there's a picture, there are pictures of Maria Orsich, which is one of the, um, the mediums that, that, yep. that worked with the Real Society. They showed a picture of her to um, Billy Meyer, and um, he recognized her as one of the first people that had come to teach him about the other side and the other world when when he was much younger and and it, the you know I, I tried to compare dates and that was earlier than World War II so apparently Maria was his teacher and visited him you know in, in a spaceship and 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 talked talked to him and and taught him prior to then taking place then then manifesting herself as a, a psychic medium during World War II to help the Germans. So same person. He identified her, absolutely. Isn't that interesting? Because yeah. the Germans also had another technological breakthrough, and that was what they called Die Glocke, or the bell, because this device was shaped like a bell, and I actually have a photograph of it in Beyond Esoteric of the bell, which not only had the ability to manipulate the gravity around it, as UFOs do, but this particular craft could also transcend through time. So it was a time machine. So Maria Orsich very conceivably could have been that teacher to Billy Meyer two or three decades later. Interesting. I, I, you know, I just, uh, I, I know that they, they were doing, and again, here they were using technology that could have benefited humanity. And, right. And, and, and it's not. And I would think that the development of some, an, in, an invention like any of these would have, would have been of greater benefit to humanity and, you know, not saying how can we use it as a weapon, but how can we help humanity with this? I, you know, the the whole basis of our civilization, as far as um, those who are in power, uh, maybe power is the bad thing. Maybe nobody should have the power. I, I, you know, power can be used in a positive way or a negative way, and we haven't seen it used positively yet, which is horrifying. That's a really good point. Power corrupts, absolutely, and absolute power corrupts, <laughs> as the saying yeah. goes. That yeah, and and everybody in these positions, these money elites, all they want is more power, more control, and therein lies the problem. Well, you know, especially in our country, because. Um, Unfortunately, you know, even if we had a powerful person in charge of the country, they wouldn't have let it go to such disarray as it is in now. I mean, the point of it being, you know, controlling it and making it a prosperous place for everyone to live in, and and it's not, and and it just, 
and I don't want to get into politics, but but the reality is that that I mean we even we even made corporations people so that they could hold office. Now is that stupid or what? <laughs> the that, Citizens almost, United ruling. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's almost like was it who was it um, who was it that made his horse a member of Congress? A Greek? Um, <laughs> was it? Oh come on! It was it was. I forget which which crazy emperor it was, but he 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 made he made his horse a a, a, um, a member of their parliament or whatever, and it was it was uh, of course he had the power to, but that's almost like what we're doing, you know these people these corporations have control, and so well let's make them people so they can hold office, and that that means that one of these corporations could be elected president. Wow. Right? Well, as we said, there's so many (laughs) things that just need to be dismantled and then reworked because, yeah, uh, ever since the Citizens United ruling of the Supreme Court that corporations had the same rights as humans, I thought, oh, boy, (laughs) everything is backwards now. If uh, that could be passed by the Supreme Court, is this? Oh God, Mark, that could happen, Brad. That could happen. I mean, it's so crazy mm-hmm. these days. Um, you know, I, I don't think it would, but but then you stop and think: Does my vote count for anything? Because we've seen how they've been cheating with the the voting. So it's it's sort of like you know, so so. So after all of this, and I know it all sounds a little depressing, and and it is kind of, but it's it's part of the process of of getting to a point where we have to take apart to put together to build better. How do yep. how do we as individuals start to fight this? I mean, we can fight it. You know, it, it, one voice w- will do it, so long as it's a lot of one voices. So how do how do we start? How do we start to work against this kind of a tsunami of control? Um, you know, yeah, laughing at them and not participating and stuff like that, that's cool too. But there have to be ways that we can individually fight this and fight our own battle. So is well, it the development? The to do it, yeah, the only way to do it peacefully, nonviolently, is just to non-participation, not uh, watching the corporate news anymore, not giving it any of your attention, not uh, supporting these corporations that are doing a lot of nasty things to the people. I, I, it's a good question. In, in some ways, it sounds like a cop-out because I know a lot of people are getting pretty upset with what's going on and certain effects of what they might have injected into their bodies. Uh-huh. And there's going to be a lot of a lot of angry people when some of this truth starts coming out. But to me, I, well, I, I have to advocate nonviolence, and I think the only way to do it is this noncompliance. Don't well, I go think along with the plan. Well, that, that's, that's certainly one one thing that that you know that that's that's 
there are lots of ways of doing it, and I think that's one way that everybody should, should um, to the best of their ability, do. But also, we have a weapon that, that is as powerful as they come, and that's our consciousness. That's our spirit. That's our connection to sure. um, the source. And, and we have the ability to utilize that as well, not not in a not in a a way of of making it a weapon at all, but but the greater the awareness, the less effect they will have on us. And so, by developing yep. and, and working on our own consciousness, expanding it, sharing with it, getting together with other people, and not talking about what's being done to us, but what we can do to us to enhance ourselves so that this doesn't affect us so much, so that so that it, it's sort of helping our generation to move to another level of understanding so that so that they see through the um the the lies and the deceit and the manipulation and once you see through it it doesn't have any effect you know it only That's has right. effect if we're paying attention to it and the other thing is that that is so important is that they they have they have more power when they the 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 masses are are in fear and and fear is a is an amazing thing and if you can go beyond fear if you can go into understanding and and not let fear rule you um then then they have no control you know they only control right. us because we're afraid and, and the minute we're not afraid, and, and, and again, peacefully understanding what they're doing and being able to look at them and say, you're lying. That's not so. Right. And I'm not going to react to it. Um, and, and, you know, you, you don't look at a fire and, and somebody say, don't stick your hands in it. You know, don't stick your hand in it. But, but, I mean, there's a certain level of understanding and consciousness that all of us are capable of getting to. And if you if you let the fear rule you, then you are then then you are again cannon fodder for them. And I I prefer to not be cannon fodder. I'd rather be able to yeah, see through what they're doing. Yeah, I think I'm going to avoid being cannon fodder too. That's that's good advice. <laughs> but yeah, we got to we got to see through what's going on, and that's why understanding. These subjects we're talking about tonight and the esoteric is so vital for people to comprehend because it can affect your life. Just as we were talking about uh, the food being poisoned or uh, the chemtrails in the air or fluoride in the water, you got to know what you're up against uh-huh. to be able to counter it and give yourself a better chance to, to survive all this stuff because it's an assault. We are being uh, the, the screws are being tightened at all ends on us here. It seems like we're just in the fight for our lives sometimes. Well, it, it it in in many ways we are, but it's you know we are we are um, we are a family of man, and what I yeah. find fascinating is that out there um, beyond the planet. Um, there are space fleets that are manned by people of all nations. You know, it isn't that that 
we take the pettiness here and we put it in space. It feels as though the 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 programs that are out there, I mean, there are some, you know, there are good guys and bad guys everywhere, let's face it. But but it feels to me as though some of the off-world stuff is is more of a blend of people than than you know a nation here and a nation there it's not like the arctic where where the americans have one little hut and the russians have another little hut and the germans have a big hut and you know it's not like that it's it's at, those that have gone off world um are blended not only with other cultures religions philosophies from the planet but but also for with with others that are that are non-terrestrial so that so that there's more of a camaraderie there's more of a working together off planet than there is on planet at least that's my concept of it yeah and that's the big uh alien question i like the bill cooper quote that he gave at the uh, ufo congress in 1989 his first talk He's so impassioned in that talk. You still see it's a grainy video on YouTube, but the audio is perfect. And he said, you put the aliens in the middle of the stuff and you get all the answers. And you really have yeah. to if you want the big picture here. Because they do play a role. And there is exopolitics, what's going on off planet and what our relationship is with them. And these things can't be kept secret forever. We We're going to have to come to terms as a human race what uh we're up against here and it's big it's well i think i think there's an arrogance there's an absolute arrogance with um science especially thinking that we're the top of the food chain and and i don't mean by by being eaten but we're we're the we're we're the the most intelligent and evolved in the universe because we're not and and you know to be open to the fact that there's a lot more to learn and there are cultures and species out there that have been around maybe even longer than us i i think the the fact that our dna is older than the planet which means that that human dna came from somewhere else and you know it would be interesting to know where home really was and i think one of the most one, one of the things that is bugged me for now years is that um 23andme and um ancestry.com um they've all done dna things to to sort of tell you where you're you originated on this planet but i don't believe that's what it was for i believe they they are looking for dna and when they came to you know the testing for covid they were nose swabs but they were getting our dna as well I think they're looking yep. for something, and I don't know what. Oh, uh, they're collecting everybody's DNA, and the reason why is because even if you don't have the graphene oxide or the other things that came with the jab, if they have your DNA, every life form, much like every bit of matter, has a resonant frequency. So that's a very general example is how a opera singer can shatter a wine glass with her voice. Mm-hmm. Well, on a micro level, and this goes for every 
human being, much as we have a very unique fingerprint or the iris of our eyeball is unique to every one of us, different in a little way, so is our resonant frequency. And if somebody gets our DNA into a database to punish that person, they can hit them with frequencies that are specific only to that person because it's picking up on their resonant frequency through their DNA match. So this is where we're getting into some real dark science and a control grid using technology that's never been done before and never been unleashed upon an unsuspecting population as it is now. Again, this is why people really have to understand this stuff to know what we're up against. I mean, we're, we're at a point now where this is a matter of self-defense. We have to protect ourselves because we are getting hit and assaulted from all sides. And if you don't even see it coming, yeah, you're going to get walloped by it. Well, and best to be prepared. You know, it's sort of like, you know, you 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 carry um extra batteries so that your flashlight doesn't go go dark. You you uh hopefully have a spare tire in your car if you, you know, you you have a flat. And and I think understanding just the kind of things that are going on out there gives you a little bit of protection. Now, you know, there, there are some things they'll be hard to cope with and some things you can't avoid. And some, you know, there, there are going to be things, but you hand you do what you can with what you've got. And I don't think most of us have done all we can with what we've got. Um, certainly a, a addressing, you know, a different, uh, a different kind of diet is a good idea. Exercise is a good idea. I mean, there are so many things that you can do that will improve your well-being and your health and, and your life. And, and not only that, but they, they expand your consciousness. I'm, I, I'm old, and I think my brain is, is sharper than it was when I was 30. And that's because I'm using it. Um, they've done all sorts of studies with people in nursing homes. And, you know, some people that just sit and watch TV and other people they challenge with um, video games and all sorts of puzzles and things like that. And after a period of time, they tested everybody and they found those people that were using their minds had more vitality. They had better eye-hand coordination. They were, they were just sharper. So, you know, the old saying, lose it, use it or lose it, it applies. Um, I have a good friend who was a, a scientist and she did also, she, her name is on a whole bunch of patents and stuff. But when she stopped working, she stopped thinking, and she just absolutely wasted away. And I think that can happen to all of us, and I think it's important that, that we keep challenging ourselves, whether it's learning a new language or learning a new talent or learning a new gift or, 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 or using their creativity. I mean, it, it all helps to get that... that connection with the infinite more secure within us and when you have that you have hope and you have foresight and you have light in your life and no matter what you're faced with you're going to be able to handle it i'll get off my soapbox (laughs) oh it's a good soapbox to be on (laughs) yeah 
And that's what we're up against. That's the zeitgeist of the ages. And like they, uh, Dickens wrote in the, the Tale of Two Cities, the book starts out, it was the best of time and it was the worst of time. And we have to yeah. identify what is the best and what is the worst and how to mitigate the damage done by the worst. And so we can just live a healthy happy and free life for the rest of our years on this short lifetime on planet earth before our souls depart and our memory gets swiped and maybe we got to come back and learn our karmic lessons all over again if we didn't get it right this time so well, that's, it that's, just goes on and on and on doesn't it barbara <laughs> you just it, it does you know, yeah. I, I every now and then I look at something and I say, I will do this next lifetime. I'm not going to play with this lifetime. <laughs> I'm rolling it over. Um, and and you know, I think yeah, I'm ready I to think get that, out of here. I think I want to leave Earth. This is a prison planet. I'm not from here. I came down for this mission. I'll help out for the rest of my life. And I've had a great life, and I've got to explore the planet, and it's very familiar. I know I've had many lifetimes here. The first time I realized it was when I went to Europe backpacking right out of college in 1988, and I got to the uh, Roman city of Pompeii outside of Naples that was covered by the uh, Mount Vesuvius volcanic eruption. I think the year was 79 AD, and it just covered the city in a a few days with uh, ash and mud. Now they've started digging out some of the larger sections, although much of Pompeii is still underground and is still yet to be excavated. But when I walked through the old Roman Forum and the city streets, it just sound it seemed so familiar to me at the time. And I didn't even believe in reincarnation at the time, but I knew my way around the city that I had been in Pompeii before it was covered with uh, the, eruption so much so that uh-huh. i knew the way to go to the coliseum and it was with this australian friend of mine i go we go down this way maybe a quarter mile and then we make a turn and then we'll come right into the coliseum and there it was and it it still to this day it even gives me goosebumps on my skin to talk about it that's how i know it's interpersonal and real to me and so when people start to have these kind of perceptions of their past lives and travel is really so great for that to go to Uh places that you are familiar with then you know it on a very interpersonal level that you've been here before but then there are some things about earth that are just so primitive and out of date and wrong and we just want to change it right what we've been talking about the whole night tonight because there's a better way and we've lived in utopian what we would consider a utopia-like society before, where there is no war, there is no suffering, there is no poverty and malnourishment, where in planet Earth, it's one in five of us are going to bed tonight malnourished or starving. How are so many people still falling through the cracks when we're this advanced as a society, or are we that advanced? Maybe we're only as advanced as the lowest common denominator. We're only as advanced as that starving child in Africa right now. And that's not very advanced. No. On the uh, 
what is it, the Kardashian? I'm not pronouncing that right. Not Card, not Kardashian. Uh, the the level of civilizations, it goes up to five. We're not uh-huh. even at one yet. We're still a, a scale zero civilization that we can't even have the basic needs met all the people in our race. And well, we're not taking animals care of the planet either. Or their own. What's that? Yeah. So we, we've got a ways book. to go. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. But, you know, it has to be people like you that are here shouting in the wilderness trying to make people wake up. And I'm sure you're making a lot of people wake up. I'm sure that, that um, you know, uh, this will go out on archive tomorrow and it's going to be there forever. Well, as long as YouTube's up and Rumble and stuff like that. So that what I love is that the vibration of these podcasts not only ours, but all of them, um, will live forever, forever. You know, they'll float on the ether. They'll be picked up randomly a million years from now, and somebody will either think it's a great, you know, reality show or, or a comedy or, or a great testimony to people who really were trying to change things and were doing their very best to put the message out there. I mean, it's in many ways the podcast are messages in bottles thrown into space to let other people yeah. know where we are and not to make the same mistakes. Oh, I like that. I'm going to have to write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> Your you moment of lucidity. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was um, but I just noticed our time. I want to thank you so much for coming back on and going into your book again because it was so worth going into a second time and probably in another year a third time. It's it's a message that will never never get old. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's very kind of you, and you know I love coming on with you. And anytime we want to do this again, even if it's a, a year from now, that sounds good. And well. We're just now, you, both here in service to all. We're just trying to do our best and help people understand this very thorny situation <laughs> on planet Earth. We all find ourselves <laughs> thrust into <laughs> a very well, stark duality I mean, on this planet. No, Beyond Esoteric, Escaping Prison Planet is a fabulous book, and it's on Amazon, and I'm sure it's on your publishing company, and that would be uh, cccpublishing.com. That's right. Um, and that's where you can get a signed copy if you order through the cccpublishing.com website. Those go through my office, and I'm able to sign copies on their way out. But uh, oh, really appreciate so cool. your support and your kind words. And, yeah, let's uh, let's oh, get through it in this lifetime. <laughs> well, we'll I, I just, you know, you will – I'm, I'm sure I, I will have you back again because I think there's there's always going to be more that's been unfolded and we want to get into it all and just keep putting it out there because sooner or later um, there will be a shift and a change and things will will go in another direction. Lord knows what it is, but <laughs> but humanity is always is not predictable for sure. So, Brad, thanks so much again for being here, and and I look forward to having you back again soon. 
That sounds good. Thank you, Barbara, and we'll do it again for sure. Okay, great. Good night. Have a good night. Thanks, everybody. This will be up on YouTube. Please make sure that you follow us or subscribe to us or whatever that button is and lets us know that you're there because this is the only way we know you're listening. We so appreciate that. Good night, everybody, and don't forget tomorrow night, Mark Eddy has a great show, too, so tune back in then. Good night.